I suspect that most of you know the first book of the Bible. Do you know the second book of the Bible? It goes Genesis. Thank you, Exodus. Do you know how the book of Exodus actually begins? You know, the book of Exodus is full of stories of Moses. He dominates the book of Exodus, but, and, and God calls Moses in chapter 3 in a familiar story, but do you remember how the book of Exodus actually begins? The book of Exodus begins with a story about slaves. You may recall, this slavery began back at the end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis 47, it says that there was no food in all the land and the famine was very severe. In the midst of this food crisis, Joseph, a chosen descendant of God's people, finds himself in Egypt and he is close to Pharaoh. And Joseph negotiates in light of this extreme famine that the peasants give over their land, their livestock, and even their bodies to Pharaoh in order to survive the famine. Pharaoh is symbolized in the familiar Egyptian pyramids. All the resources, all the power, they flow right to the top. This system functions because mostly one thing, cheap labor, and secondly, oppressive Rules. So, in hopes of saving their very lives from the famine, the people, God's people, people who we've gotten really involved with in the stories of Genesis, their ups and downs, their intrigues, these people become slaves in Egypt. That is how Exodus begins. We have, or we should have, in this past year, all gain some fresh perspective, some insight about how the economic arrangements of slavery always lead to devastating circumstances. So many of our nation's heartaches and struggles, so much of the racial injustice and turmoil that we've seen in this last year can be traced right back to 1619 when slaves first arrived few miles from here at Old Point Comfort on the shores of Virginia. The economic arrangements of slavery are hard to overcome, and we still have a long way to go. But let's get back to the book of Exodus and how the book begins. It says in chapter 1 of Exodus this, and I quote, the Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in making mortar and bricks and in every kind of field labor. The Egyptians were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. But by chapter 2 of Exodus, this oppressive power structure is on the verge of turning. It says, after a long time of groaning, and it was 400 years, after a long time of groaning, the slaves cried out, out of their cry, and I quote, their cry for help rose up to God. 
their cry for help rose up to God. This is how Walter Brueggemann puts it. Pain brought to voice in public speech so that it's heard so loudly promptly rearranges all power realities that are thought to be settled. The cry changes circumstances for the slaves, for the shut-down slaves have been displaced by voiced possibility. Here's what happened. As you may know, when the cry of the slaves rose up to God, God heard their groaning. God remembered the covenant God had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the people. God took notice. God became involved in overturning this systemic structure. It is the cry of the people that begins this long story of rescue and salvation. It's the cry of the people that God hears and God acts and God continues to act to move the world closer and closer to God's plans for justice and equity and hope and possibility for everyone. This is a story from 2,000 years ago, but it sounds like it could have been from 2020. Struggling and oppressed people crying out. Pain and Suffering brought to voice in public speech such that it rearranges power realities that were thought to be settled. God, our God, is always caring and listening and wanting to move the world closer to equity and justice to God's realm of good life for all people. Things may seem a certain way, but this is what the Bible is always about. Things may seem a certain way, but God is present and God is at work and God is paying attention and God hears and God acts and God never lets us go. That's the promise of baptism. And God keeps calling us and calling forth from us. We should never forget this. We should never forget this. And we should keep looking for and working for ways to align our lives and align the world toward God's justice and peace for everyone. So as the book of Exodus unfolds, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, in chapter 3, as I said, God calls Moses in a burning bush. It's a fantastic story from the Bible. And Moses goes in response to God's call and confronts Pharaoh. If you know a little bit about this story, Moses with the power and the presence of God and Pharaoh have this long and drawn out contest. And the contest is shaped by arguments and the contest is shaped by Moses saying, let my people go. And the contest is shaped in large part by lots of plagues. Plagues brought upon Pharaoh and Pharaoh's systemic structure. I want to zoom in on one part of this contest by Exodus chapter 10, Pharaoh is realizing that he's losing this battle to Moses and to God. Pharaoh is learning that Moses, with God on his side, is a serious threat to the pyramids and the power structures. 
Listen to Exodus 10, or read along with me. It's in the bulletin. I'm beginning with verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was dense darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another, and for three days they could not move from where they were. But all the Israelites had light where they lived. And then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Only your flocks and your herds shall remain behind. Even your children may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let, let us have our sacrifices and burnt offerings to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must choose some of them for the worship of the Lord our God, and we will not know what to use to worship the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care that you do not see my face again, for on that day you will see my face, you shall die. And Moses says, Just as you say, I will never see your face again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Even though we're jumping into this story, kind of in the middle of this tense contest between Moses and Pharaoh, you can sense in those short verses that power is beginning to slip away from the power man, Pharaoh. He's bargaining. He's negotiating like every tyrant who's on the cusp of losing his power. Pharaoh is beginning to give in. And Pharaoh, in this scene, relenting to Moses' demands to let my people go, says, in essence, okay, be gone. Go. Even your children can go with you, but your flocks and your herds, they shall be left behind. Pharaoh is yielding subtly, slightly. Go and worship God. Though they are Pharaoh's slaves, he gives them sort of a worship permit. Go ahead and worship God as he realizes he's losing but he is yielding as little as he can little by little as he can the flocks and the herds he will not yield he needs them to sustain his power and his pyramid but Moses doesn't take the offer his language is strong his language is impressive not one hoof not one hoof will be left behind. We're getting a glimpse here about who is in charge. Who is really in charge. And this is where the message in this text is super important for my life and your life. Who is really in charge? Well, you know what? It's not Pharaoh. He's not in charge anymore. And it's not the harsh people that we might encounter in our daily living. And it's not the oppressive emotions that beat us up and weigh heavy on our hearts. And it's not the structures and the policies that frustrate us and wear us down. Who's in charge? The message of this text and the message of the Bible is that God is in charge. God who promises to prevail over all things even the worst things like slavery, who gives us life even out of death, who shows us a, a way to live our lives toward justice and light and peace and purpose. 
this particular assertion, not one hoof will be left behind. Not one hoof claims that every animal and every part of every animal will not be bargained away or given over to Pharaoh. Nothing that belongs to the community of God's people that would depart from slavery is going to be bargained over or left behind. Think about this. The hoof. The hoof is the lowest part of the animal. The hoof is the closest to the ground, to the dirt, to the gravel, to the hard stuff of life. The hoof is the part most scratched up and scarred from the rocky grazing lands. No matter how lowly, no matter how ignoble, all will be part of the departure from God's oppressive regime. Maybe you remember what happened to Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela is this inspiring leader from South Africa, but he spent nearly three decades isolated and in prison on Robben Island, imprisoned there by the apartheid government. And yet when first offered his freedom by the white government, Mandela refused to go. He would not accept freedom and leave the others on the island or other prisoners behind. He would not accept freedom unless all of his comrades were set free. And it's like Moses. When freedom comes from the oppressive regime, all will go together. Adults, children, herds, livestock, not one hoof left behind. Pharaoh doesn't get to determine how things go. God's in charge. God will win. God's ways prevail. We keep looking for and working for the redemption, the justice, the freedom, the hope for everyone, everywhere. I hope you hear in all of this the all-inclusive nature of God's work in the world. God's plan include the redemption and the wholeness and the salvation and the freedom and the justice for all people and all creation. Too often through the ages, Christians have preferred to focus on God's people, the elect, the chosen as saved, and others are not saved. And you might think about that famous series, Left Behind, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. They promoted a kind of rapture, rapture of the world and a very tight community in the face of this rapture. The rapture would be a divisive event. And the tight community, those with certain belief structures or certain ways would be saved and everyone else would be left behind. They would be protected as a remnant, but everything else would be at risk and fated to suffer. Moses is pointing to another story. And Moses is part of the biblical story that is much different than that. Another story of redemption for the whole world, God's world, where God's in charge, not Pharaoh, and where God cares about every hoof and everything. The reign of God, God's redemption, God's salvation plans, God's hopes are for all people, not just some, not just those who look like us or think like us or talk like us or act like us. 
It's for all. All parts of the world. Everything in the world. Moving toward the reign of justice and light, hope and peace everywhere. So inclusive. So redeeming. So hopeful. We see this redemption of the whole world all through the Bible. Isaiah reminds us that the weak and the lame, the deaf and the mute and the blind and the poor will all be part of God's community. Jesus keeps talking about people coming from east and west and north and south, adults, children, youth, everyone together feasting at the table. Jesus continually reached out to beggars and those who are with leprosy, widows, orphans, those in prison, those with mental illness, not one hoof, not one soul excluded. God, the creator of the earth, cares fully and extensively for everything in and on the earth. The lion shall lie down with the lamb. The cow and the bear shall graze together. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. And as you heard already, the earth will be covered with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. God reigns. That's the promise. This is the message that Pharaoh detests. He doesn't want to hear it, and he has to learn it. God reigns, not one hoof left behind. And here's the really important word. God still reigns now in your life, in our lives together, in our world, in these days. So that means our lives have only one focus, the healing and redeeming of the world trusting and working for God in the world so that everyone has an equal chance at life and liberty and justice and peace and welcome so that everyone has access to housing and health care and water and a vaccine and all the other things that are so important in living in these days that means caring enough about the crises of the environment that we pay attention and get to work on them. That means not living in fear, but living and working in faith that justice and peace can emerge near and far. That means opening our hearts. That means extending our arms to one another to embrace. It means living and loving truly as God's faithful, loving people. Not one hoof left behind. As God's people, we look for and pray for and work for the redemption of the whole world. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. You love us well, O oh God. You give us life and light. You never leave us. You keep calling us afresh. Help us to live with courage and faith, trusting and serving you, following Jesus Christ our Lord today, tomorrow, forever. Amen.